Welcome to Yoga Meg's podcast, a space filled with health, wellness and fresh vibes. Sharing meditations, yoga philosophy, NLP techniques and more, bringing you a bundle of motivation, inspiration, relaxation and positivity into your life. So today on the podcast, we have the fabulous Vicky Rebecca joining us today. So hello, Vicky. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking at my cherry blossom out my window here. and Oh, amazing. That's my yeah. favourite. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should just start. Um, if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself then. So, Megan, I'm a hypnotherapist and a trainer. And I've been doing that job for almost 25 years now. Wow. So, yeah, I'm one of the world's great self-employed. <laughs> the originals. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm, as I was telling you earlier, I'm also writing my memoirs. Yes. Mm. That is very exciting, but I'm sure it's quite a heavy task, that as well. It's, it can be quite cathartic. Totally. It's one of the most cathartic experiences and being a therapist and being a seeker, as you could call me, you know, a spiritual seeker or whatever mm-hmm. terminology you want to use. Um, I'm not unfamiliar with catharsis, but actually writing my own story has been the most cathartic experience to date. Wow. Well, can you tell us a little bit about um, your story then and maybe what led you to um, be where you are today and choose the career that you have the amazing successful career you have thank you yeah i um i think i have an interesting story and i hope um everyone will find it to be interesting um when i go for publication but um i was a runaway when i was a teen and my dream was always to go to the bright lights of london actually Mm -hmm. Like many of my generation that was brought up here in Aberdeenshire, you know, it was small, quiet, and we wanted a little bit more. And London always seemed the glamorous place to go. Almost like an adventure. Yes, exactly that. So I got there and I became a glamour model and uh, towards the end of my career I was also a very successful Marlon Monroe lookalike and I made some appearances in films I did a sketch with the two Ronnies and maybe that's before your time but no I know who they are (laughs) yeah very well-known comedians yeah and um yeah so I did um the titles for the title sequence with uh, Cubby Broccoli on the 007 film Moonraker. It was quite quite a glamorous, quite a glamorous lifestyle. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But then, as you know, there was another side to that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you used the word um, polarity earlier. Mm-hmm. And it was almost because I am a recovering heroin addict. I've been in recovery for 32 years now. Well so, done. Thank you. And um, so I had two things going on. I had this surface, superficial, you know, 
beautiful Marilyn Monroe lookalike. And then I had another side of my life that would have seen me in seedy squats and, you know, back streets of London fixing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, two different lifestyles, which I think is quite interesting. And in this modern day, a lot of people are kind of living that and maybe not to the extreme that you were but even to look on social media and things people kind of give you the highlights of their life I suppose and they're not going to give you the rubbish stuff and show you um, maybe the hard stuff that's going on in the background Um, but yeah to see what an extreme that you were living that's just that must have been quite a dark time for you Yes, but it's, that, that's been the beauty of writing the book. I, I have made realisations through writing the book that I honestly wasn't even aware of at the time. Right. And actually, I think you hit on a very, very important point. One of the drivers for me to put this book out here is what I see on social media. Mm-hmm. It is you know, with the young people that maybe I help them as a therapist, maybe they're coming to classes and so on. And I think, who are their role models? Mm-hmm. Who was my role model? And I, I, Russell Brand says a really great quote. He speaks about, be careful how you choose your heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, I think about that when I see young people today and, and, and I realize how blind and unaware I was of the damage that I was doing to myself. And do you think you were kind of aware? Because the, the thing that I learned through yoga, a big part of yoga is about authenticity and really being true to who you are and kind of feeling the feelings. So when you were um, sort of down that rabbit hole, I suppose, did were you aware of what was going on or was it like a slow process that kind of took over or it was a very slow process mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm so glad that this chat's happening today because in the piece I was writing this morning with this aware this now awareness that I have and you know we've talked before Megan awareness for me is everything everything mm-hmm. I think you, you, we can put every piece of growth, everything that's happening now in lockdown, it's what you will make of this is all to do with the awareness you're willing to bring. I think the beauty of the lockdown is if we allow it, we've got the space right now away from a lot of the distractions, the busyness of life. Totally, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So when I was writing this morning, I was back in 1978, I think. And I remembered a situation where something hurt me. And the furthest thing from my mind at that time would have been to say something. Mm -hmm. Like a defense. Yeah. I just, it was like, I, I, I called it an embryo or a seed inside and it took me back and I went into writing a flashback about when I was really young the first time I had felt this feeling 
of not belonging, not being enough, of shame. Mm -hmm. And um, when I speak with clients, I talk about it as a little stain on your energy field. So that little seedling of a stain, if you like, for most people has been there from when they were very young. And then yeah, that's a lot of the behavior you get from a younger age, it, well, it's instilled in you in a longer age, you kind of project that throughout your life unless you bring the awareness to it. 100%, that's exactly right. So I, by the time I had that 1977 experience, I was aware that there was something inside me that didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And maybe I felt bad for a day or something, but then life was generally good and I marched on. But I, I remember what I was writing now. It was about how the outside world would have never really understood some of the things that went on in the deeper modeling world, if you like. Everybody had a an idea or a projection or an interpretation mm -hmm. that they would put on what they thought it must be to be that person who could stand in the high heels. And that was strange, knowing that even the closest people to you absolutely weren't getting you. So they would see you as a stereotype. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, or you know, people who are larger in life and have done things that maybe other people only imagine that they might do, like me, you, you do become a target for projections, if you like. Yeah. And you could suppose that that's where sort of maybe jealousy and things come from. And, um, and also you've got the other side where people would look up to people like that as well, because they think, oh, well, their life must be so glamorous. Um, you know, it must all be perfect and if you are maybe in a small like in Aberdeenshire where it's completely different um they, they maybe put you up on a pillar I suppose and um and that exactly. must be a lot of pressure to keep that going to yeah so both sides of the, that coin that you just described so well are equally uncomfortable <laughs> mm -hmm. because who's seeing you mm -hmm goes deeper than that doesn't it <laughs> yeah totally so um uh, no awareness is something that has crept up in me over many years it's 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 you know it's a never-ending story megan <laughs> i don't mm -hmm. know if we ever arrive <laughs> it's a it's a journey let's call it <laughs> yeah exactly so what was it then that did something happen or click in your mind? What made you pull yourself out of that time? Yeah, that, that, that is the fascinating thing. Um, you know, they, they say that religion is for people who want to go to heaven and spirituality is for those who have been to hell. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> and I'm definitely in the second category. So, yeah, I'll join I, you there. <laughs> Well, I hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And that's when they say it happens, when you're on your knees. And mm -hmm. I had a spiritual experience that was just, it wasn't, you know, we speak about the law of attraction and I would have got it if I'd been attending, you know, weekly awarenesses group or something. I was doing nothing like that. That I was on my knees, I'd hit rock bottom. Bottom, and then mm -hmm. this just 
bolt hit me and I had never experienced anything like it before. But I have many, many times since. And it wow. was so just... How, how did, how, go and explain how that feels then and what you kind of experienced. Well, on, on that occasion, I'd made up my mind and my wisdom to do cold turkey. Okay. And that is one of the most awful experiences. Brutal. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> and um, I ended up walking into the morning and... Um, it's of course I've described it quite graphically in my book this is probably not the right place to share it but it was awful and I mm -hmm. walked into the morning and just as the dawn was rising it was a voice in my head and it was you can be reborn wow yeah and so I'm not about to lapse into singing hallelujah Megan <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened wow. and it was accompanied with that you know top to toe shivers uh -huh. That feeling when we know we're in truth. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you were being called to. It was just a piece of information. Yeah. I held onto that piece of information like a dying man would have. And I didn't come clean the next year, even the next week. There was still a path to tread. Yeah. I, I moved towards it from that point. Yeah. Well, I feel like in times of despair, whether, you know, you're going through grief or something or addiction, there often is this moment and it kind of goes one or two ways and people are really searching for hope. Um, and if you can't get a little bit, a chink of hope, then you're going to grab onto that. So yeah. this is maybe your, this was your lifeline, I suppose. It, it was, and it was given to me and it was a gift. And it saw me eventually back here and getting into recovery. And that was a whole other story, but yeah. it got me on the path. I felt that I was booted onto the path, to be yeah. honest. You know That's what maybe what, what you need. You needed at that time. Yeah. You needed just a, a jolt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So how did you do it then? Do you move back up the road from London? Yeah, I left my beautiful... London garden flat that I'd worked so hard to get a whole bunch of friends a life that I'd created wow. since I was very young I gave everything away it was like the really I give all my goods away and um, came back with nothing you know just some clothes and a few suitcases and um, I like I say there's, there's a whole long story it took me three years to get fully clean Mm -hmm. So um, it was a, a slow uh, process. Yeah. It was a slow, and, and you know, it was 1987. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the same help then. Yeah, either. we've got a lot of support. That, like yeah. we're very lucky to be yeah. in so a position just, where we do have support. That's right, and it's fantastic the support that's available. But I kind of fumbled my way through it, and um, I came off of methadone in 1990, but the. The, the first thing, um, I, I went back to stay with my parents in the very beginning, and my mother, bless her, she was always a bit ahead of her time. She was one of the first Reiki healers in this area. She was a veggie since she was 40. and right, So it's in the blood. Yes. <laughs> she dragged me along to um, 
a transcendental meditation course. Uh-huh. And um, I went and I did it. And honestly, I don't even think I can remember meditating for those first three years. But I reckon I must have, because some years later, I thought, oh, I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think people people who are new to meditation or aren't into it at all, they might find they do it anyway automatically. And it's like your your body is very clever. So you could be meditating if it's like watching the clouds and you might not call it meditation, but some people just kind of um, fall into it. I know my, one of my yoga teachers, she um, had a troubled um, childhood and she said she used to go up to her room and meditate and she didn't know she was doing it at that time but it was just sort of part of her I agree too I mean Megan I used to do yoga when I was six it was the same thing as you're saying mm-hmm. and my mother used to call it stop lolling around the floor <laughs> <laughs> making shapes with your body yes <laughs> um, um, so how did so from there how did you start your business how did that come from that well I suppose you were going into along to meditations with your mum yeah I think um I think the next part of you know when I went to London and wanted to be a model I had a very clear goal mm-hmm. I absolutely knew where I wanted to go okay and then after that I was very unsure of what to do with the rest of my life and um my sister actually said to me you should be a lawyer and uh I had noticed that all the guys that I'd met in London who were like mega rich business men were all had law degrees yeah so I thought oh, okay I'd left school at 15 I thought I could do uni I had enough money that I didn't need to you know go straight and get a job so I did a law degree and that was actually my rehab yeah and a bit of structure in your life yeah and mm-hmm. just that, you know, that something, there's something about the addictive mind that can grasp onto things. We, addicts have got a single mindedness that's actually a gift. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to learn the. Um, How to harness that. Yeah. And the system mm-hmm. of it, laws like another language. And so it was just mastering that. And yeah. anyway, I soon realized it wasn't for me, but the, the gift that it gave me was I got into fitness at that time. I ended okay. up meeting my daughter's dad and um, we moved out here where I live now in the countryside and I became a fitness instructor. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I was like a proper gym bunny for many So you years. really embraced your health then? Yes. So this is maybe where your transformation comes in. I think it was. For me, it started with the body. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I was doing the meditation in the background, but it was the body, that that physical strength gave me an inner strength. And then I started noticing that my, I became a personal trainer and I noticed that my clients couldn't always stick to their program. Mm -hmm. And that got me interested in the mind. I saw a course advertised for hypnotherapy. I loved it so much. I went deeper and dived into psychotherapy, then NLP, and and right. that, so you just that it was kind of a rolling yeah. ball. Exactly. 
That's um, very similar to me, actually. I started yoga, just purely physical. Um, and then that is when I started discovering it was like the mind was really interesting and in how your movement affects the mind. And it's actually power yoga that I specialize in. And it's all about the strength. Because I think if, if you've got strength in your body, it's a start. Yeah. And then you can start working on other things. But everyone's kind of on different journeys, I suppose. So it's just... Mm -hmm. yeah. People can, their entrance point can be in different areas. But mm -hmm. for me, it was always the body. And still now, if I, if I lapse in my practice or I go through a hard time in my life, mm -hmm. I will begin, you know, nowadays it's jumping on the bike or going on, out for a walk. Yeah. It's all about I the endorphins there. and making yourself yeah. feel good as well, isn't it? And strong. Yeah. And the amount of people that have come to me with depression Mm -hmm. And I, I have, you know, I can be quite formidable as a therapist. I'm not one of these softly, you're, softly you, characters. Yeah, you're straight to the point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, dancing or walking, that's what I, and you know, if, if I have to twist their arm up their backs, I will do that. <laughs> yeah, I do like a good dance as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> So do you have any advice for anyone that wants to make changes in their life? So whether it's, you know, something huge like addiction or it could be, you know, lifestyle changes. Yeah. Well, I think my advice to anyone would be to know that you can change. Mm -hmm. And the beliefs can get better and other people have changed so you can change too mm -hmm. yeah i think it all it starts in the mind and how you sort of talk to yourself i suppose yeah i think and we're hardest on ourselves yeah and that, that's the hardest thing i hear people tell me oh no i've always been like that or it's part of me or in my genes or you know my doctor said i'm clinically depressed and i've been like this for t 10 years well okay so how hard are you willing to work you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so is this, is this what you can do for people then with your business yes and it's funny do you know because you, you know 25 years i don't know even how old you are, Megan, but does 25 years seem like a long time to you? I'm, t I'm 28, so I was, I was three. <laughs> okay, so yeah, 25 yeah. years is still quite a long time yeah. for you. So I've been doing this job for 25 years, and 25 years ago, when I first qualified and I had a supervisor, I can remember her telling me how to dress, that wearing my jeans were not appropriate. We okay. had to take down our personal photos from the clinic. Um, very professional. Ne never disclose anything personal. Um, mm -hmm. There were some, and I was told in no uncertain terms that if I wanted accreditation as a psychotherapist, I'd better take Reiki off my website. Okay, so they had a standard and yeah. they wanted their sort of tribe, I suppose, to to stay up to that that's right and so so you know you were a little bit like a school teacher in the old mm -hmm. traditional sense and um i have a feeling 
you've got a little bit of a rebellious side so (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so the day that I went to Tony Robbins and heard him effing and blinding on stage I thought yes at last a person after my own heart yeah of course I love Russell Brand and um when we put in um something to the publisher Michelle my assistant wrote and you're like Russell Brand you both swear a lot yeah but you you know what I feel like if people are coming to you and they're at rock bottom they want to they're not going to open up to somebody they don't find relatable or somebody that makes them feel um relaxed and easy you know if you feel a little bit yeah it's a great leveler and even if a person doesn't swear I think it it gives them permission to of course you know you have you, you have to gauge what you're saying but yeah it's a different world is what what I'm saying it's a different world now and but the funny thing is you know now that I've written one book the world knows that I I was a heroin addict um but even before I publicly owned that there was something about me that people knew that they could trust me. They knew that they could open up to me. They had a mm-hmm. feeling that they could talk to me, but they didn't really know why. Mm-hmm. Do you, and well, I think if when you can share, have the courage to share such a huge part of your life and it wasn't, you know, the, your best part of your life, but you wouldn't be where you are today if that didn't happen to you. Um, and do you think that's maybe the first step for sort of turning your life around is kind of owning up to your crap, I suppose, just all of the rubbish that's going on and then kind of fitting with it? Do you know what? I, I, client shares their story with me. Mm -hmm. And then as in all sort of talking therapies, I feed them back the gist but typically I'll feed back the gist and I'll either using humor or a directness that makes them laugh, I'll put it in a, such a way that they have to laugh at themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's kind of changing the way, the context, I suppose, by That's right. lightening it up. Exactly. And then, so then they have to acknowledge that they're doing something that's maybe a little bit daft, maybe not really that helpful. Yeah. And, and then they're already, oh, okay. And then, so then another typical thing is, oh yeah, I had another client like that. And blah, blah, blah. so then they recognize, oh, it's a thing. It's not just me. Yeah. I think we're so good at taking something and telling a huge story around it. And it's, maybe not true at all but it's just even like our memories are kind of fabricated because we like to kind of think about what we want to at the time if we're feeling good we'll want to kind of big them up a little bit and if we're not feeling so good we'll want to be like oh no it was really awful and (laughs) exactly take ourselves down a winding path (laughs) I think we all can do that yeah um so I want you um to tell us three things that you do to make you feel like your best you Ooh. <laughs> three things that I do that make me feel hard you know that, that's quite a changing feast mm-hmm. but let me tell you them at the moment yeah 
Okay. My lockdown three favourite Your lo- lockdown, yeah, lockdown <laughs> version. <laughs> so, I mean, the gifts that's given me is, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes we preach what we don't practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been saying to people, you know, do the dishes, practice mindfulness. Well, mm-hmm. lockdown has given me, you know, I said you can have an extra 10 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it sounded like I was mega busy, but the truth was I got carried away cleaning a cupboard. Yeah. But it's been true to that. It's quite yeah. empowering, isn't it? And it's just like, you know what? It's maybe not a, a huge deal to some people, but if you're in that mindset, and I know what it's like when you start cleaning, you're just in it, in it and you need to get it done. <laughs> so for so just me, being true to that. Yeah. So that is one of my things that makes me feel good, good to look after my home, whether that's a cupboard, the garden, cooking food for myself with love from scratch. Mm-hmm. It was kind of looking after myself things, getting out and taking exercise. That's always been yeah. that way out in the fresh air you're out in the countryside so you're very lucky where you are yeah beautiful walks it's almost like the world has a new dif- divide is it um, yeah that's uh, it you've got some people yeah I'm out in the countryside as well and I'm so grateful and I don't take it for granted at all because I know there's some people that just don't have that luxury right now so you really do appreciate what you do have I suppose in these times I think that's right. So I guess my third one would be, uh, because I I, I have a few things that I really, I love writing. Mm -hmm. I love deep conversations with really good friends. Yeah. And dancing. Dancing. You've got lots of things. You're giving people inspiration in what they can do. Dancing (laughs) Dancing is so releasing though. Like every... Um, it always seems to land just before or when we're making dinner, my girls come into the kitchen and we end up just dancing in the kitchen. That seems to be the dance floor in our house, but it's just so much fun and it's so releasing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how old are your girls? Um, two and, well, al- almost three and one. Oh, wow. Little toots. So Vicky, um, when can we expect to see this memoir of yours? <laughs> That's the... $20 million question. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I think I'll have a filled out version of, I don't know. I don't even know the term terminology, Megan, but I I've got probably five more chapters to fill out. The mm-hmm. very first draft is done. And then I'll go on to polishing those chapters but mm-hmm. I think when I get to the, I've done all the filled out things, I'll start writing to publishers. Oh, so it, it might not be too long. Hopefully too this long, year no. then. Yeah, <laughs> that would be really great. Well, let's see how long lockdown continues. I know, the longer the <laughs> lockdown, the quicker your book will come out. <laughs> see, there is silver linings. <laughs> um, so how can everyone keep up to date with what you're up to and when your book is out then? Where can we find you? Okay, so... Um, I can give you my Facebook page or my website is vickyrebecca.com. 
I will put all the links underneath the podcast so everyone can go and click on and follow your pages to keep up to date with you. And can I just say to your listeners, advice is free. Don't be scared to get on to me and say, do you think you can help me? This is Mm -hmm. the thing. I will tell you straight. I can promise that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's amazing. I think everyone's really trying, especially at this time, to do what they can to help others so and it's great to be able to chat and have a little bit of a community and support in each other yeah it's so important and it's so lovely to see mm-hmm. i think this will this will um you know like the world will be a different place after this yeah all and um yeah hope we don't lose this sense of community because right now it's just it's heartwarming it's getting everyone through I know. I I hope the same thing. It's mm-hmm. it is really quite incredible and rather beautiful. Yeah. Well, Vicky, thank you so much for joining me today. You are such an inspirational lady, and I'm, I'm I really appreciate you sharing your story with us all. Thank you. You're so welcome. <laughs> I'll let you get off to write writing some more of your chapters. You've got five to go. <laughs> uh. Bye, Bye. Vicky.